Welcome to Saints and Humans, a podcast for chaplains who are also human and sometimes better at being humans than saints. I will be sharing my own experiences of being a chaplain and interviewing others to hear their stories and the stories of their families, as well as learning from colleagues we work with in related fields, because it's our own humanity that unites us on this very spiritual journey through a very mortal life. Hello, can you hear me? I can, I can. Hi. Hi, how are you? I'm doing all right. How are you? It has been a long time since I got to see you or talk to you. Yes, it has. How do you want to introduce yourself? It's because you were so present and all of that. Like, you were part of my CPE experience. Aw, yeah, I I think that that is, I don't don't know any other children of, of supervisors per se. I think I definitely know at least distantly some children of chaplains, but I definitely did feel connected to what was happening different on different levels for different units. And I think that part of that, at least with your unit, was because I was also a healthcare worker and a hospital employee at the same hospital. And so I would see all of you during chapels and um, just sort of around. Um, that's definitely something I can say. Well, hi, my name is Joanna George. I am the daughter of a former hospice and hospital chaplain and a CPE supervisor. Um, I'm also a primary caregiver and a healthcare worker, so I have my own ties to, to healthcare. What I love about you is how very present you are when I get to see you. I feel like you and I through the course of our extended friendship over time, I feel like I have gotten to be super serious with you and have deep, authentic, amazing conversations. I have gotten to be super silly with you and like release stress through play. I have just enjoyed your kindness toward my children. And all of that speaks to me as God's presence. And I am so grateful that you are talking with me today and we can just share a little bit about your story, where you're comfortable. Where where do you want to begin? Your father was my CPE supervisor and so I met you first there in a training. I think you were, you popped into a training even before I had started. I was just visiting and that was my first encounter with you and your life experiences were so fascinating for me to watch. I grew up with a lot of trauma in my own background and like all families have issues, but I got to witness this father-daughter relationship with you and your father. Pieces of it, pieces of it, public pieces of it, but it was still fascinating for me to watch because it was so unfamiliar to me. And so I just wanted to thank you as well for that, for exposing me to that, for teaching me about that because 
those moments also taught me about God and, and who God is as a father. And that's not a lot of context that I had before that. And so I didn't even know I was going to say all this today. <laughs> but when I think about you, those are the ways that you ministered to me, even just through friendship and through kindness. So what, what do you want to share about your story growing up? Your father's from India and you were born here in America. That is all I know about the beginning. <laughs> Probably a really good place to start. So my father was a chaplain for almost the entirety of my life. Um, he did his CPE, his chaplaincy residency at the same hospital that you did when I was maybe one year old. That is him, him working in that context has been um, my context for my father for the entire part of my life that I can remember. Um, so some of my earliest memories of him and some of my earliest memories in general are from when he was a hospice chaplain because he would take me with him. It was a different day and age. And so he would take me with him um, to visit his patients whenever that was okay with those families. And I think that when I was younger, I just thought, you know, it was something he did because he maybe didn't have anything else to do with me. But I think it was also a choice that he made more intentionally to invite me into that world of his work. That was always a really important part of, of our interactions. And I think that that has grown as I've grown older as well. How do you think that impacted the people around you? Ooh, that's a good question because I think I've thought about how it impacted me but I haven't necessarily extended it that extra step. Um, so how I think it's impacted me is that some of my earliest memories, like I said, are of hospice. And my father, as you might know from being someone that he supervised, doesn't always, um, in a very CB fashion, didn't always provide me with a lot of answers. And without any context for what death is, what grief is, what end of life is, what palliative care is, what hospice is, especially as a, as a four or five-year-old child being in that situation, I think you can have a lot of questions. And I could see that in a different situation being really problematic or difficult or traumatic. Um, but I think that what I walked away with was a sense of how life was sacred um, because of, of how the other healthcare workers and hospice workers, the health aides, the physicians, the nurses, the people who were involved on the care team of these patients treated these patients who were suffering, who were very actively dying, as if they were sacred. And I walked away, I think, with a sense that God was real, even though my father never gave me a narrative that had to do with God or eternal life or necessarily even the, the classic salvation arc people going to heaven I walked away with a sense that God was present in those situations and that people were sacred and I think that has shaped my ideas of healthcare as a healthcare worker but I think more more profoundly it has shaped my ideas of who people are and who God is and I think that both of those things are something that I regard with a sense of mystery I think that's something that I was maybe taught to be more comfortable with just because of how I was introduced to those things. And I think that that is a gift. And so 
and how that shapes others. I think that maybe how that influences others is that I think that in a healthcare setting, I think I bring those sensibilities into what I do. I'm a primary caregiver for someone, and so I think that hospice experience and just sort of that shaping helps me to be present and to view my role as a caregiver a little bit differently. I think that that's, um, it's a gift I can see on my end. I hope that it's something that is helpful on the receiving end as well. But I think also with interacting with other CBE students as a fellow co-worker in the same hospital like we were, I think that a lot of students going into CPE haven't necessarily had that end-of-life exposure, and so it can feel very jarring and very scary to be holding a pager when you've never done that before um, on your very first day and be walking into a situation where someone could be dying, someone could be suffering, um, and not really know what to say. And I think that being able to be present with students and to know that like as, as a little kid, you don't really think about, oh, what am I giving? How am I interacting? Like you're not quite as intentional. And just to know that those, those outcomes were okay. Um, not necessarily because anything in the situation was okay, but um, I think that sometimes, hopefully, um, my experience there offered a little bit of reassurance that you can be as ignorant and new as a four or five-year-old, but um, that something, you can still give someone something just by being present with them and caring about them. There's something so profound about the emotional and spiritual work of being able to hold both of those things at the same time. In, in therapy language, we call it object relations, being able to hold both things, that something is really, really hard and tragic and even sad or you could feel grief stricken or all these layers of big feelings. And also I'm okay. And also I'm still safe. And also I'm not alone. And that is a powerful lesson to be growing up with so young. Yes. I think that it definitely, definitely is a powerful thing to extend to someone, um, especially in such a, practical context. Like I think a lot of parents might have opportunities to have these conversations with their children. But in my case, it wasn't a conversation. Um, I don't know that we ever talked about death or being present or being sick. But I had these experiences that um, sort of laid the foundation for thinking about those things. And I think that that is a really really unique and powerful gift for sure that I don't think my father necessarily even intended to give me or that I intended that I realized I was receiving at the time. When, when I think about your dad, I think about not seeing him ever. (laughs) I saw him in class. I saw him if he was teaching us something or inviting guests to speak to us, which was more often than him speaking to us directly but I, I, in the halls, I know he was there. I know he was doing things, but I never saw him. There would be so many times I came back from the ER and I would be upstairs in my office where outside of my office, I could see across to the women's building and the ER. And I would have just come from that. 
and then see him walking across the parking lot to go there or to go somewhere else and and like he was clearly busy and he was clearly connecting with people but he was so quiet about it that you you the other guys in my in my cohort would say you can't catch him doing it because he's somewhere doing it helping someone but not being loud about it and i think that that taught me a lot about being present in noticing what is around me and more mindful of the people around me not just an assignment that's on my clipboard for today or a name that's on my floor printout and I think that that was very helpful. But you lived that with me in the interactions we had. I experienced that with you. Little things that you would ask about or knew about our family or check about or check in on or something like that other people like I had a need to be tended to in a way that I didn't know I had and no one else thought to ask the questions that you asked. And so it wasn't just an offering of friendship or an offering of healing or being present with me in that moment. It also brought awareness to, oh, this is where my pain is. And maybe I did need some support after all. And so that was just a beautiful experience. And I experienced that over and over and over again with you, which I think is why I just grew to love you so much and appreciate you in that context and it was profound to me because you were so young at the time I mean you're still young and cool compared to me I'm just saying but but you you had that maturity and that was an amazing thing it was poetic I don't know how to describe that ministry of presence that you already had I'm so grateful that you did receive that I don't think it was ever intentional um or that I ever realized I was was doing anything helpful but I think that um probably some of that came from um the fact that my father had a copy of Keeping Kyrie in his office and so I had read it I think after we had first met but still very early before we were quite interacting and I think your story is a testament to a lot of things and it has a lot of characters in it and things you are learning in it, but you are still the narrator. And so the, the title isn't necessarily even about you, it's about your daughter. And there are a lot of narratives where I don't think you're trying to paint yourself as the main character, but you still are the narrator. You're the lens that we're seeing stories through. And so I think that maybe being able to, to ask certain things or wonder certain things sort of came came a little bit from that. I think stories are, are really important to both of us. I think that's something that we share. And I think it's very rarely that you get to interact with someone that you first came to know as the narrator of a story. And so, I don't know, I think that was a, a curious and a unique aspect to our relationship. I didn't even consciously think about that before saying this. But yeah, I think that that is true. And that was a gift that, that gave me without necessarily even needing to give it to me, which might be the, the unofficial emerging theme here. Um, it's all the gifts that we give people without realizing it. But, you know, you wrote this story that is a testament and in, in being that is vulnerable in a lot of different places. And so I think I had the gift of knowing certain parts of your story 
before you had told them like officially to me. And so I think that gave me that extra, extra insight maybe into knowing things or, or knowing your voice maybe before we had become quite good friends. And that maybe before some of the people in, in your class had become quite good friends with you as well. And so I think that might've been the backdrop for our interactions. That makes so much sense. I hadn't even thought about it. And because I can hear your dad's voice in my head, talk about the book. You have to tell him about the book. You're talking about our memoir about our family, Keeping Kyrie, which is on Amazon. Yeah. And I will put the link on the Facebook page. But we, so we wrote this book about our family and lots of people got the book because they knew we were trying to raise money for her hospital stuff. And we so, so appreciated. That was a really hard season. We had to sell our house to pay for her. And it was, it was so, so difficult. Um, your dad would sometimes give us food. I remember that. And the children knew that he was a source of food. And that one time he cooked pancakes. And that's when they started calling your dad the pancake man. <laughs> yes, they did. He delighted in that so, so much. Oh, my goodness. What memories. But... So, so lots of people got the book to try to support our family. Like we sold t-shirts, we sold the books, we were doing all these things, trying to pay for her, like the $6 million baby who is still alive, by the way. And you though, were the first time I felt like someone had read the book mm -hmm. and, and not that that is a requirement of friendship. It's not. And there were other people who didn't need to read the book because they had lived it with us. So I don't mean shaming in any way anybody. But you were the first person that was a new person in my life who I felt understood what I had shared. And I think it was one of those, part of what was so healing for me in that was that it wasn't until those words were received that I realized how traumatic it had been. And I think that's why it was so healing for me. Right. I think that sometimes, like, I learn by telling stories. Um, that's part of why I love them. I learn by hearing them, too. But I think that there are parts of the story that we can tell that we don't see until, until maybe we've told it or until we've seen it through someone else's eyes. And I think that in, in telling about this really hard experience of your family enduring in so many ways. Um, you were writing something that was a testament, but I think that living through a hard experience, sometimes part of surviving it is not being able to see how hard it is because you don't really have time to stop and to look at that while you're going through so many things. You can't quite sit still in that way. Otherwise you might drown. And I think that having maybe but I was sitting still reading the book, reading all of these experiences that happened. And um, I think that that would probably be a way easier thing for me to admit than it would have been for you to admit. But especially at that time, while all of that was still, still so new, such a part of your story. It was still unfolding in lots of ways at that time. Yes. Wow. Stories, I think, are one of my favorite parts about CPE. And when people come in, like your dad doesn't have this agenda of, you need to talk about this today. He finds interesting people. He finds people that we're supposed to learn about because CPE, but also just interesting people. And he brings them and is like, tell your story. <laughs> 
you're on the <laughs> floor and that's all there is and so you learn all these stories of different people different faith backgrounds different lived experiences different identity expressions all these different pieces what was that like growing up exposed to all these different stories in contrast to really where we live in in middle america sometimes those stories get silenced and this was so much about just holding space for stories right that's a really really neat way of looking at cp and looking at what he does my father's not a big reader so i don't think that i would have seen quite so clearly how i could have inherited a love of stories from him but i think it's absolutely true he's always listening to narratives whether those are recordings or talking to people and he whenever he does have a presenter come in you're right he doesn't say tell us about your field of expertise and um, answer these questions if they're relevant to these theories and to these situations. Um, he does open up the floor for questions, but the first thing he always centers around and focuses on is tell us who you are, you know, tell us how you came here, tell us about your journey, tell us your story. And I think that that, I haven't seen too many other CP supervisors in general, but I think that that is very true to his supervisory style and I don't I don't know if that's everyone's, but I'm very grateful that it's his. So during the earlier part of my life, he was a chaplain. And I think I was getting glimpses of those stories in real time. And when he became a CP supervisor, I think I started to get more, and especially as I, I grew older and was able to you know, participate more in those didactics or in that setting as a hospital volunteer, a hospital employee. I think I did get to observe and absorb a lot of stories that I wouldn't have heard otherwise. Stories about lament, stories about people who didn't necessarily feel heard. And I think that those stories challenged me because, you know, they, they just were. There wasn't, they didn't come with explanations, much like those hospice encounters from when I was younger. You know, there wasn't a guidebook to, okay, you know, you might believe this, and this person just told you this. How do you compromise these things? How do you reconcile those things? There weren't directions, and I think that's very much how things are in CPE. But also, I think, sort of a unique approach for a parent to take, to give someone stories and to let you work out your own salvation in hearing them. It's a risky approach, I think, not that he intended it to be one, but to let go to that degree and to let you fit the pieces of that puzzle together by yourself. Um, especially, like you were saying, um, because I was was very young all throughout this process. I think the first group that I really engaged with um, was probably when I was in middle school at some point. Um, I think we met um, when I had first gotten my first real adult job at the hospital um, when I was 18 and 19. And so looking back, not that it's been a super long time, but it definitely feels, I'm able to feel like, oh, I was, I was a lot younger. There are a lot of things I didn't see very completely at that point. And there are probably a lot of still things that I still don't. Um, I think that probably my experience with it was, was really similar to what someone's experience might be with CPE, except I think the difference is, hopefully, um, with all CPE students, they're signing up for something. They don't know what they're signing up for a lot of times, I think, but they are signing up. And I think in some ways I was signing up too. You know, I was entering into this world mostly to connect with my father, who fits so well in this world. Um, 
it truly is a really big part of who he is. And it's always been a really big part of our relationship. But I don't know that I was signing up. I was signing up to be his daughter in this in this context. But I think I got a lot more than I realized I was signing up for as well. And so that was unique and at times sort of difficult because I didn't know how to hold space for the stories that I was hearing. But I think it shaped shaped how I view people and hopefully in good ways. What was the hardest part about chaplaincy? What was hardest about growing up in chaplain world, whether it was your dad or being around CPE students or hospice? What was the most challenging piece? Was it that consent piece you were just talking about or, or other layers? I think that it wasn't something I would have ever classified as being super hard, you know, as part of our relationship. But I think that a lot of the hardness might have come, like you were saying, from the tensions that existed between the rest of my life and maybe the stories that I was hearing, um, because I didn't know how to hold those two worlds together yet. I was hearing stories from people with very big different backgrounds or very different viewpoints than... Um, a lot of other people who were really important in my life and important in me growing up. And I didn't didn't have any answers about how to do that or any clue about how to do that without maybe giving up part of myself that felt really vital. And so I think that probably the hardest part was was realizing, you know, what parts of this, of holding space for these stories, you know, how can I do this without compromising something in myself that's integral. And I think that sometimes I realized that, you know, at some point, in some ways, maybe that was easier than I thought that listening didn't require, like it doesn't, you can respect someone as a person and you can respect and hold space for them without agreeing with what they're saying. And that can be true. Uh, but I think just, just learning how to do that and realizing that I didn't need to give up parts of myself, but at, at some at the same time, you know, letting, parts of myself that I was holding on to really tightly soften throughout that process to make space and to care for those people well. I think that that was maybe one of the harder parts, especially because I didn't really know who to ask or what to look to for a good example of how to do that. I guess in some ways I was looking at looking at all of you, looking at residents um, that, that were in groups before you or even maybe in your group. Um, and afterwards. So I think especially around middle school, high school, that was definitely one of the harder parts of CPD. I saw you do that so beautifully with our family. You have grown up and in your own choices have um, your faith tradition, your, your spiritual experiences, your cultural traditions, and yet you came to hear us speak at our church and you came you and your father came to my child's baptism and for us that was such a big deal because where we live there's a lot of hate that our church gets that we get as members of that church and you were just kind and you just came to see and to celebrate with us as friends and and as people not just who love God but who loved us and that, again, was just holding space with us in such a beautiful way. Right. And I know there are people who would say, who wouldn't feel comfortable stepping into a service in a religious tradition they didn't agree with. And I think that there, you know, there's space for that, too. But I think that, especially in making the decision 
to want to show up for your family. Part of it was because, you know, I knew glimpses of, of the, your story and the story of your children. And I thought at the time, especially that, you know, especially for my father, I think, who had more interaction with your children and had a name and had a title, just the ability to show up for them seemed like a really big deal, to show up in a language they could understand and to, to let them know that there were people who didn't agree with them, who would still show up for them and still love them. Um, I think that that was something that I hope he was able to give them and that I'm, I'm glad I was able to, to accompany him in that way. They were so little at the time and they had, their adoptions had just been finalized and they, they still, I mean, they still have that trauma background, but they were so freshly out of that trauma and it was life-changing to them to see anyone show up for them. I can't tell you. There are not words to tell you how powerful it was for them, how meaningful it was. And I think that, you know, while we do have different faith traditions, I think that there were still so many lessons that I learned from your family and from your testament and from your own story. I remember, I think, um, your oldest daughter at the time, was um, all of them, I think all of us were so much younger, maybe even myself included in a couple of ways, but especially for them, they're so much younger then. And I remember her talking about how she didn't see too many people of her skin color that, you know, were holding certain jobs or that were, you know, making certain choices. And I think that at one point she had mentioned, you know, she wanted to be a teacher and a chaplain. He said, oh, sort of like your dad. And I thought, I don't know. I was really grateful, I think, that he was able to show up in some small ways. I think we were, we didn't have, you know, a whole lot of connection with your children, but I'm glad that just knowing that someone would show up even if they weren't super close to you. Um, I'm glad he was able to do that and to be part of their story in that little way, be someone they could see early on, because I know she's, she's met and had so many different experiences since then, but I'm glad that, you know, they were, they were able to, they were all able, I think, to interact and to delight in each other, because he delighted so much in your children um, whenever they would come up to the offices. It, it really was a big experience for her. One of, part of her trauma really was that her biological mother, who is white, told her that she was not black. And she very clearly is black. It's it's yeah. her skin is dark, her her hair is the black kinky hair, it's just beautiful, we get it braided, but she had never had it braided before, she had never had it treated before, it was a mess when we got her, and her mother just in her own trauma with what happened with her biological father in their relationship as part of dissociating from that trauma her mother dissociated like all of Mary's blackness. And so trying to teach her, what does it mean to be black? What does it mean to be a person of color? What does it mean to see others in the community? And, and the, the challenge of that is that I'm also white. And so I can expose her to events. I can expose her to movies and books and, books by black authors or, you know, do all the things. We can go to museums. I can incorporate this. We had um, 
Madeline Manning Mims was there as a chaplain yes. in my CBE group. So she got to meet a real black woman. Real and it was yeah. like, oh my goodness. I remember one time we got on the elevator in the hospital to go up and see your dad or something. And an and a beautiful she was just beautiful this beautiful black woman got on the elevator and my daughter said just turned around and stared at her and was like you are a black woman and the, the woman the woman just looked at her and then looked at me and looked at her and I said I mean what do you say right I said she's just been adopted thank you I, I like I'm trying to apologize for her and not knowing what to say in that awkward moment on the elevator and not yet having enough CPE to know to just close my mouth. And the woman, as she was getting off the elevator, turned to Mary and said, I am a black woman. You are a black woman. And don't you forget it. And Mary has never forgotten that experience. And then having your dad, who is from India, and learning that, there, wait, there are different people of color and there are different colors. And finally, the, the crayons came out with the different shades of brown. And all of these things were so powerful to her, culminating in our trip to Africa to take her to meet her tribe. But we would not have been able to get her ready for those experiences if she had not had these other safe experiences. And your family was everything to them. They, they, those small encounters meant so much to them as children, and they still talk about it. Well, I think that it definitely goes both ways. I think there are parts of their stories that I would hear, because um, they were learning to tell their own stories too, as you mentioned, sort of in the first episode of your podcast that, you know, that's something they were learning how to do and are learning how to do. And I think that their courage in doing that and just different elements of my own story that had resonated with some of their experiences or some of your own experiences, just watching how they were learning to navigate that and the way that they were able, you know, to share that with other people. I think I learned so much um, from all of you, even just from sometimes reading your book or blog stalking or whatever it was, interacting with you on, on occasions. I think that was really important for me growing up as a young adult and, you know, trying to figure out certain parts of my own story that I hadn't thought about and working out my salvation in those ways. And that's something that I've thought of as you've been mentioning a lot of things, but not something I think I've said enough during this conversation or could say enough about during this conversation but yes I think you know your family was really really important for me and really important for me understanding what family is and that it's a good thing and, and learning that and relearning that um and so I really appreciated those experiences too um and receiving some of that from all of you as well it's so funny that we both came with completely different lived experiences and met each other and then learned from each other so much about the same thing. Yes, I think so. Um, it's nice to see sometimes how stories connect and the commonality there. What have you brought from your story growing up in CPE and, and all of this that we've talked about? What is it that you're taking with you or what part of your story are you taking with you now as an adult as who's a healthcare worker in the pandemic? <laughs> 
What what is your story? How has that unfolded now? In some ways, it's hard to see necessarily what I'm taking with me distinctly because some of those roles that I occupied then are still true now. But during during the height of the pandemic, I was was not in the same hospital, working in the same hospital as my father, and so I think it was was different. And there was maybe a, a season where there was a more distinct separation, being in a new hospital, being and not necessarily knowing or seeing quite so much of the students and their stories so directly. But I think that's still still part of our our story and our connection now. What do I take away from this experience? What part of the story that has become you is part of your adulthood now, whether as a healthcare worker or just in your life? Yeah, I think that what the first thing that occurred to me, and I'm thinking to see if there is is more something different. It's just sort of what I initially said about hospice, that idea that people are sacred, I think, and that, you know, life is sacred and that that looks a lot of different ways, I think, especially during the pandemic. I think that there's so much tension right now with how how we actually care for others well. Um, I think that 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 there's so many different stories and all of them contain a lot of pain just because there is, is so much tension during this season between groups of people and wounds are so deep and there's been so much loss on so many levels, um, which has maybe always been true, but it's so so clear, especially in this season, um, and so evident. And I think I don't have any answers for, for those questions, but I think I know that those questions are there. And... I think that my experience with has taught me that I don't have to agree with someone's stance to know that they are hurting and to mourn with them and to sit with them in that tension. I don't have to to hold the same perspective of what is a good way to care for someone. And I can learn how to care for people in new ways. I think that's something that I'm learning, especially as a caregiver. There's parts of this pandemic that have felt really dangerous because I'm trying to keep my own family, my own people that are the entire, that are my entire world well and alive, which is not really my responsibility, but it feels like it can be some days, even though I know that it is God who sustains us. But I, I you know, I, I want so much to make responsible decisions that care for my family well. I want to extend those kinds of decisions to others. And at the same time, um, I know there are people who do that in, in ways that look very different than mine, in ways that I might disagree with, but I know that they are good people whom I love and whom I can learn for. And I think just being able to hold hold space for all of that is difficult, but it's something, hopefully, that all of these gifts that I've been given from, from my father, from his patients, from his students, from this community that exists around chaplaincy and around CBE. And I think it's it's paved the way for that. Not necessarily for that to be easy or for that to be done without mistakes, but for that. And I'm really grateful for all of that. Oh, Joanna, you made me cry. Thank you for being you, exactly you. Thank you too. Oh, anything else that you wanted to share before I let you go? I'm not sure. You were so brave and vulnerable. Thank you. Thank you, too. There are definitely moments that 
um, it might have been surprising, I guess, with certain questions that I made or, or inferences or questions. But I think it was definitely really surprising for me, too, because, like, I knew I had the context for certain stories in your life. But I think that certain stories that you've lived gave you the context to ask certain things or to see certain things about me or about my father, about stories that we had lived through that we weren't necessarily telling you, but that you could see parts of because of what you'd seen either in yourself or in people that you cared for or loved, whether that was in so many contexts that you, that you, with your work or with your friendship or with other relationships. And I know that that, that was really a really amazing gift um, that you gave both of us. And I think especially me in having part, parts of me that I wouldn't have talked about seen. But I think it was just especially maybe valuable to have someone um, who I knew as a colleague and who I knew as in a professional situation and see those parts of me and give me that kind of kindness, um, that kind of sense of being seen and being known. And so thank you too. And thank you for being, for being, as you would say. You were just very safe and easy for me always. And so I'm totally crying. So if there was ever a time like that you messaged me or I messaged you, it felt to me like there was no time lost. Like you were in my life a fact. You just are a part of my life, period. So if that's overwhelming or intrusive or weird or creepy, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's wonderful. And it's strange because I think you have been you have been a part of my life and that's been a fact, but I wouldn't have expected it to go both ways just because there was so much, you know, with you wanting to record um, elements of your family you know, as a testament or as a history or as a record and telling these stories, you know, I was receiving a lot from what you were not necessarily giving directly to me, but just sort of putting out there into, into the world, whether that was through blogs or books or posts or messages that weren't necessarily for me specifically, um, but that I was reading and that I was thinking about. And so that was, you know, a thread through, through the years that I've known you. And it's nice to know that that there was a thread going back in that in those silences, not something that I would have expected. Um, and I'm really grateful. When when you talk about people being sacred, to me, you are sacred. Oh. I wanted to hear your voice and your experience, even though, like, it, it, as always, like, there's limitations on even what your voice gets to be or who gets to hear it <laughs> or, yeah. or how much. And I, and I understand that and, and respect that, but it was your voice that I wanted to hear. I wanted you to know that your voice matters, that you are such a sacred part of this world. When you say humans are sacred, I think you are sacred. And I just want to make sure that you hear that today in my very pushy kind of way <laughs> no I think um you know getting to do do this podcast and to be here is a gift and I think it it is super special to get to tell a story um it's something that I love doing and it asking me I think that it absolutely does does convey to me that you believe people are sacred and that you believe that I am too um that is 
is a really big gift. So thank you for that. And thank you for listening and asking questions and holding the space for me to get to share a little bit. Thank you for popping up into my life every time my children eat pancakes. (laughs) (laughs) I see. And now you're back in the same general state, at least. So hopefully hard to look back and to remember that some things haven't happened. And so I'm glad that you, you know, you have those, those written stories to remember and to hold. Just remembering how special it was to be able to have those super serious and super silly moments. I remembered how um, there was this stuffed animal that was a mix of different stuffed animal parts all sewn together. Um, This weird chimera creature that a friend of mine had made and that we named the puzzling. Um, And that became weirdly relevant in that stage of my life um, just because it sort of embodied that being able to hold different parts together, different weird things together. You didn't have to understand them, that they could be just something that you held, something mysterious, something strange, but also sometimes something weirdly wonderful that paved the way to adventures that you wouldn't imagine. And um, in all of that, I know that um, once I had handed you this, this stuffed animal, this creature, and I wasn't like a little kid or anything, but you still... Um, we're so kind in taking it and bringing it home to your family and like taking pictures with it. And that was so special to me. And just that you're willing to honor um, this ridiculous thing just because it meant something to me. Thank you, really. I mean it. I love you. I'm grateful. And I'm proud of you. I want you to know that like I'm just a person out here. But I'm proud of you. I'm proud of who Aww. you are. That means a lot. <laughs> I wrote you that letter um, when I was baptized, and I didn't give them to everybody, and I didn't give them to every student. Um, but yes, all of your stories do matter and have mattered so much to me. Um, so thank you. Love you too. I didn't know this would be a cry fest today. <laughs> <laughs> I will let you go, but thank you so much, truly. Of course. Thank you for listening to Saints and Humans, a podcast for chaplains, even those of us who are very human and still learning to become saints. You can follow us by subscribing to the podcast on any podcast player and following us on our Facebook page, Saints and Humans. Thank you.